Welcome back to episode two in Pedra's Points of Discussion podcast about the use of laser therapy to treat congenital melanocytic nevi in children. Episode one included a comprehensive overview of CMN, as well as a deep dive into the use of laser therapy. If you haven't listened to episode one yet, please go back and do so now. Before we begin, it's important to note the views and information expressed during this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the Pediatric Dermatology Research Alliance. The purpose of this podcast is to be thought-provoking and to stimulate new ideas, new collaborations, and novel research. Any reference to medical treatment or disease management is for this purpose only. It is not an endorsement by PEDRA, and it is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Any decisions related to medical care should be made in consultation with a qualified healthcare provider. So at this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for this program, Dr. Elena Haraluk. Dr. Haraluk is a pediatric dermatologist at Massachusetts General Hospital and Boston Children's Hospital, an associate professor of dermatology at Harvard Medical School, and the faculty director of pediatric dermatology for the Harvard Combined Dermatology Residency Program. She is also the chair for PEGES Early Investigator Committee and my partner in crime for putting together this program. I have had the pleasure of working with Dr. Haraluk over the last year, and it has been a wonderful experience, and I cannot wait for her to moderate this program. So at this time, I'd like to turn it over to you, Dr. Haraluk. Thanks, Jen. Welcome back to episode two of our discussion of the use of laser therapy for the treatment of congenital melanocytic nevi in children. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Dr. Alona Frieden about the benefits of a non-interventional approach in the care of patients with large and giant congenital melanocytic nevi. I'd like to take a moment to introduce Dr. Alona Frieden. Dr. Frieden is a pediatric dermatologist and professor of dermatology at the University of California, San Francisco. She is currently finishing her term as the 2020 through 2022 PEDRA president. She is also an incredible mentor and senior clinical expert in our subspecialty, and we are so grateful to you for sharing your clinical experience and perspective today. We'll jump right to questions. First and foremost on this topic, um, when you approach patients who have congenital melanocytic nevi who are seeking interventions, what makes you gravitate towards or away from interventions such as laser treatment? I think the way uh, I would approach congenital nevi is figuring out right from the outset sort of how impactful they are or likely to be. I, I find that with large congenital nevi, even if they're not located on the face, for example, most of them are not, that there's an incredible shock factor uh, for families when a child is born with a large congenital nevi. At birth, they are often extremely dark, much darker actually than they end up being over time. Um, even though we don't think of this as a rare condition, I, I've almost never met a family that knew anyone before that who had a congenital nevus uh, of that size. So for them, it's like completely something from outer space practically. And and I've experienced the same thing even with, exper with experienced pediatricians or people in a newborn nursery that, that they too will be very alarmed. So, so I think that can even happen with smaller congenital nevi, but certainly is the case with large ones. So in my mind, I tend to separate small from large congenital nevi because I think the management, um, while there's overlap, can be 
different. So in terms that the other question you asked was sort of when when to steer towards say laser versus some other option. I mean, I think when I approach um, a family, I want to have all the options. I want to have my toolbox be as large as possible, basically, which would include observation. Uh, it would include surgical debulking or excision. It would include um, <clears throat> uncommonly laser. And I'll, I'll speak to maybe why I wouldn't put it at the top of the list, but I kind of think that agrees with the previous comments of Dr. Sanderson and Levin that, you know, it doesn't necessarily go to the top of the list for them. They're talking about kind of the cases where there aren't many other good alternatives. So I think, again, that there are so many nuances and variations in terms of location, surface texture, um, family uh, reactions and preferences. You have families who want to be minimalistic and I don't want to do anything unless it's medically necessary. One of the first things that I do with families when I have a child with a congenital nevus is to uh, try and address the, the elephant in the room, which is cancer. What's the risk of cancer? Um, and I, I think I usually can give them, in most cases, very good news that the risk is actually, as you said in your introduction to the part one, Dr. Uh, Elena, is lower than we used to think. And that I would say even for large nevi is in the order of maybe 5%. So I always sort of put it the other way, which is 95% chance that even with this, your child will never develop a melanoma. Um, and and try and, and, and lower the anxiety for this as a threatening, an imminently medical threatening situation. Uh, although I also tell them that I can, cannot give them a guarantee that it can't happen. And there's no way to do that. Um, Dr. Frieden, how do you counsel patients and families interested in cosmetic treatment of congenital melanocytic nevi due to concerns about bullying or worsening self-esteem? Yeah. They may say that they drove a thousand miles to see you the best <laughs> of the best, and I want you to treat this. Yeah. Well, I think it's um, whether you're going to treat or not, um, you really have to address that. Um, and that's true even for the patients that are under, gonna, going to go, undergo the journey, the laser journey that was just discussed, um, because you can't guarantee that this will be 100% gone. And that's the case with most, most birthmarks that we have, with the exception of certain uh, infantile hemangiomas, where I think we really do get them to pretty much vanish with our current technologies or therapies, although they can also vanish on their own in some cases. But with the congenital nevus, um, let's talk about what's in the medical literature. I think um, I have huge respect for ROCs and and Yakir, but and their, and their attempts to treat this. But what's in the medical literature in terms of system, systematic reviews of using laser for congenital nevi, despite the fact that these technologies have been around for more than, more than a decade, probably more than two decades actually, is that, that, that basically there is not good high level evidence that this is a great treatment. Um, if it is a great treatment, the people who have done these great treatments haven't published them in the love, to the level that meets the standard of people who are doing systematic reviews. But there was a review in the British Journal of, of Dermatology, for example, a few years ago that basically concluded 
that there is no high quality evidence that this is kind of the go-to treatment. So I think that's that's the bigger picture of, of, of where we are, which isn't to say that there aren't anecdotes and, and examples where it can be extremely effective. I think you have to start with, with that. If, if, the, if the direction is that someone comes in and they want the laser, I have to have that conversation with them. If they come in and they want to know what should I do to make my child as healthy as possible and have as good a life as possible, I think there's lots of other things we can talk about. Obviously, if uh, there's a surgery, <clears throat> surgical option, as we all agreed, that's a really good option to talk about and to have experienced surgeons um, consider that. Because I will say that my patients who have had surgery for congenital levi, um, they are much happier having a scar than a congenital nevus in, in, in many cases, if you can completely remove the birthmark. If you can't remove the birthmark completely, I think the results are very mixed so that the people who have bits of it removed or good portions removed, but they still always have a birthmark left behind, that's more of a mixed picture. But most people would rather have a scar than a brown spot. I think that that's, and, and they don't get comments on them either. So it's, it's interesting. And, and I've talked to our plastic surgeons who I work very closely with about this. Nobody ever, almost ever asks you about a scar. If they do, it's a very brief interaction. It's like, oh, what's that scar? Okay, fine. Uh, whereas um, Nevi can come up as, as a source of bullying much more often. I don't know if it's really the brown color that looks maybe like dirt or what it is, but there's some kind of visceral reaction, particularly if it's hairy. So that's a real concern. And one of the first things I do in a child who has a large or, or giant congenital nevus is to point them to patient advocacy and to the patient advocacy groups that exist. And they really exist around the world, but in the, you know, excuse me, in the United States, that would be a nevus outreach would be um, the, the, the go-to group in my opinion. They're really, they do a really good job. They have family conferences, they have educational material. And I think that they, that patients are very well served to know about that. And they can connect them with other patients through their Facebook portal and other social networking. There are also some very interesting um, patient groups now who don't like the term disfigurement, which is certainly the term that I used for most of my career to describe what's going on with these patients when they have facial differences. But they will now use the term facial difference and sort of trying to really embrace the difference if they don't feel that there's any good alternative. But these are very, um, I, I really liked what I think was Rox said about, you sort of become a part of their family. These, these are the patients I know by name. I mean, I see thousands of patients. Most of them, I don't remember their names, you know, five years later, but I remember all of these patients names <laughs> because they're with us for, you know, for the duration. Basically. Thank you for that. And I'm, I'm curious, since we've talked a little bit about laser, a little bit about surgery, and also, of course, some social support tools that are available, what are the other treatments that you consider in the toolbox? It's a limited toolbox, but are there any other modalities that you have on the radar? Well, I, I am also very interested in the idea that because we know that the RAS-MAP kinase pathway is where these lesions derive from, that these are somatic mutations, that we can find ways to deliver medications that can either be an adjunct to laser 
minimize the number of laser treatments, um, be delivered uh, transcutaneously or through laser assisted deliveries or things like that, that this may really be the future. I certainly hope it is. Um, I recently saw a paper that I think it was actually in JAMA Dermatology last year using an ALK inhibitor called crisotinib, I think is how you pronounce the drug. And this was actually not for, um, well, it was for a, a agmenated spitz nevus, which is a type of a variant of congenital nevus. And if you look at the before and after pictures along the eyelid margin, and this is a child who had an extremely disfiguring lesion and was treated with this medication systemically, they look great. I mean, I think any laser surgeon would be really happy with these results. I certainly would be if, if we could achieve them. And we have considered using ALK inhibitors and other RAS um, uh, inhibitors uh, for our patients, but we're very concerned about toxicity and, and crisotinib is now has been used in children with, with malignancies. And there's an emerging literature that it's more, it was believed to be fairly well tolerated actually in children, but it's, there's an emerging literature about more toxicity than was an, initially anticipated. So these are heavy duty drugs and they need to be used with caution. But my hope is that um, as dermatologists, we like to repurpose drugs and use drugs that are developed for systemic therapies topically or in other intralesionally. Um, so my hope is that that some clever scientists will begin to look at models for, for doing that because that's really, that would be hugely helpful. I'll say one other thing about the whole subject that um, um, I think about, which is unlike the vascular lesions, which if you are able to ablate a port wine stain or even elements of hemangiomas or venous malformations, you know that there are blood vessels there that are normal and that will be there and take over. If you really get rid of all the melanocytes and you target them really well, at best, you might end up with vitiligo. At least I think this is a concern that I have. And, and that certainly would be worse than a very dark bulky nevus to have vitiligo and maybe even be able to do melanocyte transplants or something at that point. But I, 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 it's not like you don't need melanocytes in your skin. I mean, they are normal constitutive elements. So I do think about that and, and sort of what, sort of where that fine line is between scarring, which I would argue that complete removal of melanocytes would be a form of a scar in a sense, um, versus trying to hit that sweet spot where you look much better, but um, you still have this problem. There's one other thing that I think about, which is, um, I feel that these families are very vulnerable and I don't wanna send them on a quest across the country to find the right, the, the cure if, if I'm not sure that it, there is a cure. And, and so the, the people who are interested in the sort of medical tourism approach, I, I tend to dissuade them from that a little. I mean, I, if there were people in Boston who were able to cure all the pigment at Nevi and I knew that they could do it, I, I mean, I do send patients to Boston for various things. Uh, at times, but I think you want to be very careful in talking to families, particularly who don't have the experience of Dr. Anderson and Dr. Levin about laser, because not <clears throat> as Dr. Levin said, um, that the therapeutic window is pretty narrow in terms of you can really do a lot of harm and not necessarily get the desired outcome. 
uh, Veronica Kinsler and her colleagues did very interesting work um, looking at the final color of congenital melanocytic nevi. And, and this was work in part reaction to some of the work that hasn't been mentioned, but where people were doing wholesale curatage of large congenital nevi, very commonly actually in Europe. And what she was able to prove was that your, your final nevus color is really determined by your endogenous pigment type to a large degree. So things start out looking very, very dark in everybody. But if you're a fair-skinned person, your congenital nevus ultimately will likely look um, typically more fair. So I think those are things that I use in consideration of what to do. Thank you. A lot of wonderful ideas and thoughts there. Um, I'd like to go back to laser therapy where it stands now. And Dr. Frieden ask you, what do we still need to understand about laser therapy before it can become more widely accepted as an option for patients with congenital nevi? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And I, I would say that we need something that many experienced laser surgeons can do with regularity and, and expect good results. Um, that, that having very particular settings and having it be really an art and not something that really is translatable to other individuals makes it less widely applicable by definition. And we need things, um, I'm not, um, people might think because I have my hesitations about laser therapy that I'm so worried about creating melanoma. Frankly, I am not because I don't consider these to be highly pre-malignant lesions and especially superficial ones I think we can follow over time. I think it's a consideration. It needs to be discussed with families, but it's not, to me, that's not the sticking point. The sticking point is that we have a lot of people who do a lot of laser treatments and, um, you know, I think some people get a little, who do mostly laser, get a little stuck, you know, that everything, you know, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail and they just want to try and try and try. But I think we really need a sort of more evidence-based, experience-based approach that that other people can adopt um, based on on good uh, studies. They don't certainly don't need to be double-blind studies or anything like that, but they need to be studies where you can generalize and have other individuals with similar lasers be able to get reproducible results. Before I'm willing to say this is a really good idea to consider this very centrally in my treatment toolbox. Sounds like maybe we need to coordinate with the folks in Asia that are using them more broadly on Nevi to generate some good data for us. Um, I, I, I thought that was a really interesting comment. And I have the same experience with some of, of the Asian patients. And we see many of them in the Northern California area that, that there definitely seem to be some cultural superstitions. Um, I've talked to parents about this and tried to understand, and it, it, it's always a little bit, you know, well, it's really my, my mother-in-law that's the one that's worried or things like that. So you never, it, it seems very individual to each family. I'm not sure that there are generalizable ones, but it does seem to be certainly an issue. And, 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 and that also is where I, like to intervene because I really would like children if it's not something extremely disfiguring where it would be where every, all of us could agree this is something that you would really rather not have but where it's like a small congenital lenitis on the cheek or something. I, I, I think it's important to be able to give children agency if they can make a decision themselves which is usually by about eight or nine years of age is it something that they want removed or not. 
So if there's if there's not a lot of urgency <clears throat> to put the decision off is, is something that I also would like to consider with parents. Because I do have uh, a number of kids that I see with congenital nevi who like their congenital nevi and have no desire <laughs> to have it removed. So that's another sort of side to the coin. Thank you for that perspective. Um, when you're counseling patients and families regarding ongoing monitoring of lesions and melanoma prevention or protection, how do you counsel them? That's a great question <laughs> because I don't, um, I'm not convinced, and Elena, I would love to hear your perspective on this, that family history informs risk of, of melanoma arising in congenital nevi. I'm not aware of evidence to that extent. But, and I used to be very actually ambivalent about using sun protection as like saying, you have to always be protecting this congenital nevisifus in an exposed area um, because it's a different pathway than the sun exposed melanoma pathway. But in conversations with Boris Bastian, who's a dermatologist and a, a very renowned geneticist, um, you know, he, he encouraged me to um, use sun protection and encourage sun protection more. I mean, obviously you, you would be unlikely to get a sunburn in a, in a congenital nevus because you have so much pigment there to protect it. Although I don't know that you would be able to tell quite honestly if you did, but but the fact is, is what he, his point was, is that melanoma is a multi-step process and you already have sort of one hit on the road to melanoma by having that one mutation, which is the NRAS or BRAF mutation typically that you have. And so those are patients you'd want to be protective of. And so I do tell parents now, um, I think you should, you know, do what every, what I tell every child to do who has reasonably fair skin, you know, to try and protect that area. What, what about you? Can I put you on the spot about that? <laughs> I, I'm not an expert here today, but then <laughs> edit this out. Um, I, I do I acknowledge with the patients, uh, to the patients that their genetics are a little bit different than the patient with melanoma risk from going to the beach all the time. And I don't want it to become a hindering um, intervention for the family to avoid going outside or things like that. Because I do think having the nevus is so... Um, prominent in the family's life together that um, I don't want the sun protection to be an additional burden. So I do disclose that secret to them that it's a different genetic mechanism and encourage them to get healthy sun, um, but also healthy sun protection. Okay, so this brings us to the end of episode two. Thank you so much to Dr. Frieden for her insights, and please listen to episode three to hear Drs. Frieden, Anderson, and Levine engage regarding these two different approaches and identify the research still needed to better understand this question.